0: Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to
1: emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello listeners, new and old. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron. And with me, as always, is my best friend, the best graphic designer that I have ever met. A truly masterful up-and-coming martial artist, Patrick. Are you lying to me? <laughs> Why would I do that? I don't know. I I Maybe mean,
0: I would know. Always Based be telling recovery. you the
1: truth. I'm just You're, being encouraging. Yeah, exactly. You're
0: encouraging whatever that that is. <laughs> so thank you for that. You're
1: very welcome. Hi. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's
0: what the script says, say. Hi, instead of all that, but so
1: hi. There it is. Well, feelers, this movie has our favorite thing right there in its title. You hurt my what? Feelings. So, you know we got to talk about it. Thank you for joining us for this because we think it's going to be a great conversation. Unlike the majority that we have, simply because of the kind of movie this is. With that said, here's your spoiler warning. The film is now in theaters. It stars Julia Louis-Dreyfus in the lead role. It's directed and written by Nicole Senior, who makes movies that are basically just like this if you haven't been familiar with her filmography I actually started going back Patrick and watching some of them because I love this one so much and I like the other ones too they're they're all just like this tonally speaking uh and for me it, it hits a very special sweet spot that we don't get very often so anyway we're going to talk about it it is in theaters Go check it out. This is the kind of movie that actually does need your money. So, you know, unlike, I don't know, what what is out this week? Oh, yeah, Little Mermaid. That's what it was that we decided not to talk about. Like, what is there to talk about? That's why we're not talking about Little Mermaid, folks, is because it is the exact same story as the, uh, it's good. If you've listened to FF, or not listened to FF Plus, I actually thought the movie was really good. It's in my upper tier of Disney live action remakes. That being said, why do we need to talk about that for an hour? It's still just the Little Mermaid which you've been watching since 1990-something. So anyway, I uh, digress. We're going to get back to what we're here to do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Who's the crotchety old
1: man now? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm stepping on your soapbox and knocking you off for a second. All right, well, spoiler warning, we're going to get into it. As I kind of alluded to there, Patrick, I, I wanted to just throw this to you in this way. How nice is it to find a smartly written adult, relationship dramedy that doesn't get zany it doesn't get vulgar and it features dialogue that at least in my opinion it feels like you could easily hear this in your everyday life and it's funny it's heartwarming and thought-provoking to boot did you have that experience i did i actually was
0: thinking a lot about the um it, it, it was a quiet movie there was nothing like insane about it Even the conflict itself felt like, yeah, that's everyday stuff. And the hard thing about this is that how do you get that in 90 minutes and make it compelling? And the movie did this in a lot of ways through great dialogue, through kind of close to home situations uh, that I can definitely attest to from being married for 14 years now. But I felt a little bit like it was a little lost in translation. Like it was just this kind of story of these individuals, not like a Valentine's day or a new year's Eve, like ensemble cast where everything connects, but it connects thematically. And when I knew that going in, it really helped frame my appreciation for all these different things that were happening. So not just between couples, but between friends, between relatives, between different types of situations that were going on. And it's nice to be able to sort of establish, like, this is what we're going to talk about. So you have, when it comes to, like, movie trailers, I, I fell in love with the movie by watching the trailer. I was like, I'm looking forward to this. And in some ways, I was a little let down because it seemed like the funny parts were in the in the trailer. And I laughed, you know, a third time or fourth time in the in the theater watching this with my wife. But I also appreciated the fact that, you know, in some of these trailers, you have another pet peeve, old man on the on the porch kind of moment here. I don't like when you have dialogue and then you have words that are conflicting with each other. So you have two people that are talking. You're like, life is blah, 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 a bowl of da, blah, 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 fire bombs. You know, it's like those, <laughs> the, you have the, I mean, whatever it's, <laughs> that's, but it, it, that's not most,
1: it. like 99% of people. If this was the family feud, right? I, <laughs> this would be like, nobody uh, said yeah, fire bombs. Everybody would yeah. have said life is a bowl of cherries. <laughs> I know. Number one answer, Fire bombs. <laughs> <laughs> er, I mean, I Steve Harvey yeah. would have looked at you and been like, "He would. you'd be getting the side eye right now. I like, would have given the Steve kidding? Harvey
0: look. Yeah, I agree, I completely agree with that. My point being that I have issue with giving me text that's trying to say something snarky and clever and having dialogue underneath it or, or lines because I'm like, I'm hearing these great lines of dialogue and I'm seeing this stuff. But one of the things that I'm pointing out is that the movie gives you that a little like a paragraph of text or a couple of lines that said it's a movie about what it means You know, why we tell little white lies to the people we love. And that's really what the movie centers upon. And I think that's really great to know that going into this because all these pocket stories that we're getting that somehow connect to each other, but not in a way that necessarily has to connect. They just do. It's really great because it's just like a day in the life or a week in the life or a year in the life of these people that are not like uber like famous. I mean, some of them are successful. Some of them aren't. And it doesn't try to be anything more than what it is, which is just a story about living with the people you love and navigating the waters of encouraging deceit. That's kind of what I took away from it. And I I looked at my wife a couple of times and I kind of laughed and sniggered because there are some lines in there were like, yep, that's kind of us. <laughs> nothing like my wife said, you know, whatever that husband said to his wife, nothing like that. But there were times when I felt like, Yep. That's that's married life, or man, that's that's life with living with someone for a decade and a half, and that's not bad. Like it's just the rough waters of being together, uh, whether you're a father son, whether you're a mother daughter, whether you're a mother son, whether you're, it just it it just it amplifies in a comedic way, but not in a way that feels like it's just like laugh a minute. It doesn't need to be that way. Like I didn't want to laugh the whole time. I didn't want to cry the whole time, and I didn't at all. Cause I'm, you know, I'm a hard hearted dude where my wife is not, and she didn't cry either. So I think it hit a great like balance of both comedic drama, uh, and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely agree with you wholeheartedly. And I'm glad you guys got to watch together. That's awesome. Uh, This was one that I would have definitely recommended for that. And I knew that she would enjoy it as well. Just, I think, because again, it's a movie that I recommend to any adult that is in the middle age time of their life. This is where Nicole Center shines, is it's so relatable. And these folks are, I don't know, they're probably closer to a little bit older than you and I are at this point. But, I mean, I've got 20-year-olds, and I think Elliot in this movie is 23, so it's not that far off in reality. And the specific main plot hook here and there's other things going on that I want to kind of get into here later but the main story point is simply that the main character Beth overhears her husband Don talking to her brother-in-law and saying he didn't really like her book she is currently writing this second book it's fiction her first one was a memoir and she's been doing the normal artist thing where she's not able to get over hump. She thinks it's bad and she's struggling to wrap it up. Her agent doesn't seem to be liking it as much either, but he keeps telling her it's great. It's great. It's great. It's great. Keep going. Keep doing it. You just need to, you know, continue on. You're going to be amazing. It's going to be so successful. And I think that that's something that not necessarily even being creative, in, you know, it could be, but I think that's something that we all experience is having our spouse or a best friend in the introduction of our podcast or uh, someone else close to us, a coworker, pretty much your kids, but pretty much everyone in our lives tells us what we want to hear about our creative pursuits and about basically anything that we're doing to achieve a goal that they know about. It's very rare that people tell you otherwise. And so I'll throw this to you first. The movie does not seem to come to a conclusion on this. And I've actually listened to several interviews with Nicole Cole Center where she said she was writing this to go through the process and she got to the end and it ended the way that she thinks about it. She doesn't know. I mean, w- w- the movie ends by Beth literally lying to Dawn <laughs> about something. And it's very pointed to tell you She's doing it like it wants you to understand that after all that they went through and the lessons that they supposedly may or may not have learned, that's not what this movie is about. It's not about like learning a lesson. It's showing you the reality of things. So where do you stand on this? (laughs) Is encouraging someone wrong if you're not being completely honest?
0: Well, I think it really depends on a lot of things. And that's this. This is what I think the movie gets right, is that there's nuance to it. There's a really great... There are two great conversations between her and her husband, uh, I think it's Yeah, and Don. One's on the couch when he essentially apologizes to her for, for lying. And he talks to her about the fact that he was reminding her that she is not her book. Like, that he loves her. He doesn't love her book. And so, counter to that, I think earlier in the movie, and maybe even on the couch, she admits that she gets her validation from him like he is the one person that she counts on to support her and when you watch how they interact with each other her importance is wrapped up in that book and that's consistent throughout the movie so when you watch her this is what I love about Louis Drives's performance is that from beginning to end it's not like her book is one of those things that is superseding over everything else like she has good relationships it's not like everything is about her book but this is this is the world that she lives in she's just accomplished a memoir that is quote terrific by page turner magazine or whatever it is in comparison to another memoir that is like compelling like the word that's used here there's clearly a deviation in terms of how people feel about her memoir versus how they feel about this other one and by the end of the movie the same thing happens she's written her book it's gotten published that in and of itself should be a win, but she's still insecure because again, the verbiage is just like a great read versus like fantastic by a different publication for two of these. And so when you watch these interactions between her and her husband to, to answer your question, I think it really depends on what you're supporting. Are you supporting the thing? or Are you supporting the person who is pursuing the thing? And for me, and I'm gonna admit right now that they're gonna be not stories that are gonna come out, but a lot of this stuff brought out a lot of personal things between me and my wife because I have to realize, okay, is it important enough for you to pursue that I'm gonna support you? Am I gonna be honest about the fact that this isn't good? That's gonna come preface by saying, Do you want your husband to answer or do you want the reader to answer? Because I can be it really and it really depends on how you say things. So I would if if I were Dawn, I would say, I love you, Beth, and I think what you're doing is absolutely fantastic. People, not everybody can write this. What I got from it was probably not what your audience needed to hear, or, or whatever. I would try to be objective. I wouldn't sugarcoat it necessarily. I wouldn't say, man, it's bad, and this is why, and this is why, and this is why. I'd try to find that balance between being husband and being reader, because it's a hard situation to be put in. I mean, she's asking him to do both: be my husband and support me but also give me honest feedback. If you're not willing to hear that constructive feedback from the guy that you're spending the rest of your life with and that you confide in deeply, that's to me an insecurity on your part. And I'm saying this, I I say this fully knowing that I am siding with the man, the husband at this point, but I also know that I've experienced this where I've said something and the way I've said it matters. But even if I say it the right way, Sometimes the fact that it's not what she wants to hear isn't going to go over well, and so for me, I would say let's take a step back. Don't let me read your manuscript because I'm too close to you that I wouldn't be able to give you an objective vantage point. So, is it right or wrong? (laughs) I think it's it's right in the sense that you can't get away from it, but I think it's wrong in the sense that you're putting your spouse in that position to begin with.
1: I think that that's a very good way to look at it. I mean, I think you're right. It's very much a matter of specific circumstance. And that is what makes interrogating it interesting and compelling is that sometimes the right decision is probably going to be to not lie. And sometimes the right decision is probably going to be to Maybe skirt the truth just a little bit to be encouraging. And it's important to understand the difference. And it's important to, I think, what the movie shows for me is regardless of what we choose to lie about, when or when not, I love how you brought this up. Don's specific act, he is always and immediately is wondering what's going on. He's never upset with her about I mean he's upset to the uh, only by the fact that she's not being open about what is frustrating her he just wants to get to the heart of it and the moment he knows what happens he's apologetic and he is expressing that he just wanted to help her succeed he doesn't and he understands that she's hurt like he, that's the thing is like he doesn't want to make her feel that way and that's where we get wrapped up in this whole topic is like it's all coming from a place of, quote, good intentions, right? Oh, well, I had the best of good intentions, good intentions. Well, do good intentions actually amount to anything? That's always a question. Who knows? Um, and then it and it twists itself into this whole generational thing because we get this awesome set where the two of the parents are sitting with Elliot. The relationship with Elliot, I love. it. It cracks me up the whole movie. This kid just randomly walks into their house at 23 and is like drinking a beer and he's like I'm going to my room. And I was like what is going on? I, my mind I'm like what I need more backstory about this relationship. He's out living with his girlfriend apparently now, but like he can just come and go, he has a key and their his room still set up. I was like I'm dude, Tyler's out of here as of this summer. As far as like regularly living with me, that room I got plans, bud. Their their bunk beds are going away. That's the podcasting room. That's the board game shelves are going up. Like there's like all sorts of things I'm doing. I'm not letting it just sit there in case they come home and need a beer. To I mean, they could. Like I want them to feel comfortable. I'm going on tangents like crazy. So I love that 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 he does feel comfortable. Anyway, back to the point. They're sitting there, and back to this whole generational thing. They're talking. With him, and he calls his mom out. He's like, You literally did this to me when I was young, and it almost caused me to drown because I wasn't a good swimmer. And so that's where this thing of choice comes in. And it's sort of, you have to think deeply about whether you truly are being encouraging or whether the things you're trying to tell someone are affecting them. In a way that is meant to make you happy about what they achieve. Does that is that? Am I saying that clearly? Yeah,
0: no, it's a vicariousness that you're that you have to balance between living vicariously through your through your child. I say son because I have one. Or
1: or, par- or, or or spouse. You know, or spouse. Yeah,
0: yeah. Just I think that there's there's a common thing among parents and their children that they they want their kids to have better than they did. Or they're selfish parents and they're like, I don't know why I had you. You're an inconvenience and you're interfering with my life trying to be uh, a fun adult. Uh, I'm hoping that most parents are not like that, that most parents are. I mean, I'll just say this, listeners. I listened to Aaron talk about, if I'm going to be honest, if I'm going (laughs) to, can I, can I tell a quick story about recent conversations you had? Yes. So, so his son the The last of the two, the, the that's leaving the the nest, becoming an adult or trying to com- become an adult, graduating from high school. He was telling me, sort of remorsefully, that the last few weeks that he gets to spend with him are sort of going away because they're filled up with social activities, filled up with things that he's committed to, and it's like the rest of his time with his son as a child, as a young, as a teenager, as a not adult is sort of going away. You know, his his daughter's gone off to college and it's not like they don't talk to each other, but things are different. And I'll tell you listeners, Aaron's a guy who I think is stupid in love with his children, like to a point where I'm like, this is, this is fantastical. Like, I don't know of anybody who is this like committed to wanting his children to be home with him and to be with him when they do like excited when his kids come and go to a Sounders match and play video games and just enjoy being around. And I was, I've was, been around them a couple of times. It's been so many years since I've been to Seattle hanging out with his kids. I was actually looking through pictures of them as like you know, seven, eight, and nine-year-olds. Like, that's crazy. And that's how long it's been since I've seen them. But consistently, since I've known this man, he is so like over the moon for his children that I think comparing that to Julie Louis-Dreyfus's character and her sons with between Beth and Elliot, I'm not calling Aaron a helicopter parent by any means, but the level of love that exists is very much parallel where you want the best for your children and you get so frustrated when they don't make the decisions that are best for them by fact. Like if like two plus two equals four and Tyler says, no, two plus two equals six, dad. I'm going to get it wrong in the test just because I don't want to listen to you or because that's what I think. No, that's the, I'm giving you the answer, Tyler. The frustration that you feel and the frustration, I think, that she feels are almost on a similar path. And so I say that as a broad stroke, taking a step back, we have the power and sometimes we have the fault as parents to probably put too much on our children. And so as a as a parent myself, my son has a capability to play soccer. He's not driven. He's not the guy who's sitting in front of the television and he's juggling all the time. I mean, there are kids out there his age and younger that are doing so much more than he is. I have no problem admitting that my son is lazy. I mean it's just what it is. So how do I motivate him? But the bigger question is, how do I motivate him to a point where if he doesn't do those things, is it gonna be disappointing to me? And I think that's what we're hitting at here and why Elliot feels the way he feels is that it's like his mom sort of navigated that water for him and didn't listen. Like he even says in that conversation, you didn't listen to me. I can't swim, but you made me think that I could, and not only swim, but I could be the best. And now I have this, his words, I have this false sense of being better than other people. And now I'm in the real world where I am not. So I think that there's, again, there are extremes. And I think that if you let your kids fail all the time without navigating some of that encouragement and saying, okay, what can we learn from this? Having that sort of growth mindset, you run the risk of now losing them to being complete failures and feeling like I'm not going to do anything because I'm going to fail at everything. So I don't think, I think from his perspective, he didn't, she didn't give him a chance to fail, but she also didn't give him a chance to really succeed on his own. So I think that he's got a point, but I don't think her intent was wrong. And I think that's one of the big themes of this is what is your intent? Like with Don, his intent was not to hurt his wife's feelings. It was, it was, to make sure that she was pursuing that thing that she absolutely loved. And it's sort of opposite with what Beth is with Elliot, where he's saying, I don't want to swim. And instead of saying, okay, let's figure out something else for you to do. I want you to play a sport. I want you to be active this year. Let's figure out something else. Instead, she's like, no, I saw you jump in the water and you kicked your feet four times. That means you're going to go. You're great. Yeah, that's that's setting you up for failure because now you're being put on a pedestal that you didn't want to be put on in the first place. And you're going to probably fall off at some point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a fine line. Like ultimately it is such a fine line. And I just thought that transitioning into it where you get to think about your kids is even more relatable because you're going to experience this with your spouse or your best friends, no doubt, impossible not to, but boy, is it a bigger deal when you're talking about a young kid. That you're raising, especially like for you, right? My kids are off to college at this point. I'm past the point of telling them what they want to hear. <laughs> like we have we've kind of not been doing that for a while now. Uh we are to the blunt part of our relationship. Whereas you still are molding a younger son in the way that you need to be more careful and more thoughtful than I do with someone who's eighteen and somebody who's twenty. And so I just I really enjoyed Going through that, and I think you kind of said this at the beginning too, or maybe I did and we both did, but just the fact that it's so slice of life to me that these are not big problems, these are small problems, and the characters don't get overly worked up about them to the point where they don't, they, they show their hurt at times and they show their frustrations. And they show their struggles with like careers, almost all of them, (laughs) but they never have the big, I'm going to, you know, there's not melodrama surrounding it.
0: Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is the scene in the in the athletic store, which I think is great that this guy has a. I'll call it a so- I was going to call but, it a fetish, too. So, I mean, what is <laughs> this?
1: I've never known someone this obsessed with socks. It's such a I great mean, random character detail.
0: We all have. We all have our things, I guess. But in that scene, the director could have said. It could have set up the scene where. Don and um, is it Jared, I think, or no, John uh, Mark? No, Jared, Jared, I think anyway, it seems name, his name Mark. Mark, sorry. There's so many characters. All these characters. Yeah,
1: I don't know who Jared or Jonathan is, but I, well, it
0: was in the order of order of appearance, apparently. Oh, yeah. So, Jonathan, I'm,
1: I know who they are. Go ahead. Okay. Mark.
0: Anyway, he's talking to his friend, the, uh, the other half of these, these two couples. And that scene could have been set up where he was saying, I think I'm going to leave my wife because I just don't love her anymore. And instead, she overhears him saying, I didn't like her book. And in any other movie, that could have felt so stupid. Because, like, how petty is that? And how petty is it for her? And she, this could have been played for laughs. Where she's like, I can't believe you didn't like my book. But the scene is so tender because she hears him. And she kind of backs off a little bit. And then we get outside. Or maybe it's a little bit later. And this was in the trailer. And I kind of laughed at it. But I kind of didn't laugh during the scene where he goes, I love you. And she's like, oh, okay, well whatever then <laughs> and we don't catch that in context it sounds funny that out of context. is
1: such a good scene she's it like oh co- it's okay it's fine you love yeah. me so so it's all better now <laughs> i thought that was brilliant. brilliant
0: yes because because this the narrative or the standard narrative is hey as long as you love me everything's gonna be okay when clearly she has said i not to him she said it to uh to her friend or her sister she said i need that validation from him now as you know taking a step back and looking at this from just my own personal point of view it's kind of a dangerous place to be because as someone from a faith-based perspective man that's a when your spouse lets you down that could lead to other stuff like okay well i can't trust my spouse can't trust him at all i mean and the fact that she needs validation from him that sounds very romantic but i'm i'm interjecting my own opinion that's it's not a great thing to be like affirmation great and support, great validation? Mm-mm. No, because one, he's not an editor. Two, he's not a writer. He doesn't have the credibility. He is your spouse, and I think putting that on him is unfair because of the fact that if he told you the truth, would you really feel the same way? Would you feel like, gosh, yeah, you know, I love you even more because you told me my, my book was terrible? I, you know, I, gosh, I could see the love. Of it. No, she wouldn't. And I think that whole scene at the dinner table where they're sort of celebrating (laughs) the bad version of this birthday (laughs) for for his friend, when she's, again, this is another moment out of context that I kind of laughed about where she says, you're gaslighting me, aren't you? And I'm like, I've had those kinds of conversations where I am saying something or not saying something and I'm being accused of not doing something. And I'm like, no, I am not doing that. Let's take it. Let's, let's really think about what's happening here. And I support Don all the way. Uh, up until the point where he does does Botox. And I'm like, what in the world are you doing? So I think that watching that scene play out in the athletic store could have gone so many different ways. And I'm glad that it didn't because it, it called attention to the fact that even the small things can matter to couples. And they do. Even today, I'm driving to my parents' new house. They just moved into a new place and I'm going down this road that I haven't Done before. My wife has. It's not for me. It's not clearly marked. And so when I turn, I actually turn into the oncoming traffic that's not there. It's not. There's nobody coming. But I cross over because there's no double line.
1: This is how runners get run over, Patrick. Okay.
0: Well, yes. You're absolutely (laughs) right. (laughs) There's a stoplight.
1: I could say it wasn't your fault, but
0: it kind of was. Maybe. Anyway, different story altogether. So she she reacts to me, and I. I get mad for a minute, and I, you know, turn the wheel, and I get back on the road, and I'm like in the moment, I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't know this road, and it's not that clearly marked, which in the moment was like me saying, not my fault, not my fault, not my fault, which is what we what we tend to do as people. And she looked at me, and she just kind of stared at me while I drove, and I kept quiet for about forty five seconds to a minute. And about a minute after that, I said, I'm sorry, I did that. She goes, Thank you. Like she was waiting for me to apologize to me. That is what I felt in this movie was a sense of I need you to own up to the thing that you did wrong. And I needed to be willing to be honest and say, I'm sorry. And that's why I feel like I side with Don, because when he found out, as you mentioned before, what happened, he didn't apologize for saying what he did. He explained what he meant. And I again, I I love that line. He says, you are not your book. (laughs) You're not. So it, I was like I wanted to just stand up and like slow hand clap in the theater because I was like that's probably the best line in the movie because to me that's what real love is he was validating her affirming her not her book or her ability but he knew how important it was to her and he knew that whether or not the book got published she should keep doing it because that's something that she loves and that's what he was validating and affirming
1: yeah beautifully said I think that it is super important to affirm and not rely on or, or, you know, feel that, but not be relied on, uh, when it comes to your, your significant other. I mean, I, my, I was, it's sad when you have to say my first or second divorce <laughs> to be, to be clear. Uh, but anyway, so, uh, one of my divorces <laughs> that didn't make it better. Uh, one of the big, issues that came up was that i was at the time too immature to understand that i was putting all of my expectations onto one person and that person was becoming increasingly overwhelmed and had a feeling that she could not be all that i needed her to be in every single capacity and it's the moment that i finally learned about oh you you should have different hobbies <laughs> and you should have space that is your own and it's okay to be completely opposite on some topics and it was too late at my my point unfortunately but it's a lesson that we all have to go through and it was something that I thought about a lot when I was watching this another thing about this movie and we can kind of transition into the psychological or psychology part of this but specifically I feel like every character, the main four, struggles with losing the passion for something that they do, and this was another, like, kind of a quiet subplotty type thing that is so relatable to people, especially our age, and I wanted to ask you about that. Do you feel like you have a good handle on knowing if you're just feeling disappointed or if truly a fire has gone out. So in the movie, we deal with Beth questioning whether or not she should still be a writer because her fiction book is not being well-received by her agent. And also because of Don's comments, but she was already not feeling great about it going into that. She was on shaky ground, um, which is why his comment sent her over the edge in the first place. We have Mark, who gets fired from his job as an actor and is, has the most dramatic moment in the movie of where he's just like, I'm, I'm done and a beautiful, another just perfectly beautiful scene for a couple that where she walks in with those socks and starts trying to describe them and a pizza. And and it, it, I, I don't know. I just thought those moments, man, I just don't feel like I see them in movies ever. Or hardly and it was so refreshing to me but he's struggling with whether or not he wants to keep acting and then we have Sarah who is struggling because she keeps bringing light fixtures to this house <laughs> and this woman is like no 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 and she finds the most gaudy ugly one that she hates and of course that's the one the person wants and she's like why am I even doing this and then Don who is questioning whether or not he's even being successful anymore as a psychiatrist, as a therapist, and whether he's lost the ability to do it or the joy uh, that he used to have in helping people. So they all struggle with these things. How do we know where that line is?
0: I don't think we do. I think it's one of those things where we have to recognize our tendencies and habits. When do we get bored with something? Um, Self-reflection is obviously a, a really good thing. And I think the other thing, Aaron, is that we have to recognize that our past is not our present. So something that my wife and I discussed recently was she mentioned to me in one of our more tough you know, harder conversations recently. She said, I miss the guy that you were. I miss this part of you. And and that you know, that's hard to hear because that basically means that you're not doing that anymore. I wish you did that more. And she's got a point. So there there are parts of, of that that I think hold some truth. At the same time, the things that are in the past are just that. And as we were talking, I mentioned to her that it's important to recognize that we have to have the gratitude for where we are now in this moment. So if we think about where we were 15 years ago, we weren't even married. We were dating. If I think about where we were 10 years ago, we didn't have a son or we were just about to have a son. So we we aren't a young couple anymore. We aren't even a young married couple anymore. We are almost 15 years into our marriage with a 10 year old son who calls his mom bra and (laughs) who like most kids do. I remember the first time that
1: happened to me and I, I don't think I've ever wanted to hit my child as much as I did in that first moment. (laughs) I did not. Don't anybody call CPS. I did not do it, but there was a very brief fleeting thought. Don't call me bra.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So navigating that, I, I look at where we are now. And I also think about the career paths that we've taken. And so 15 years ago, I was, you know, thinking about the job that I had and like, man, it'd be great to write and make movies and all this stuff. And I think about myself 15 years later. Where am I? I'm like five, six years into a podcast that I never thought I'd do. (laughs) I've got a second podcast. who knows where it'll go or if it'll go anywhere. I am a leader. Of people in a department that I'm now recently taking on a second department, and my my son is about to be homeschooled in the fall. Something I never thought, but even two years ago, I was thinking I'm never going to pay for school for my for my child unless it's college, and that we were doing that for two years with private school. So all these things are surprising me. Do I still desire to direct and write? Not as much, but I'm okay with laying that down because it doesn't change the fact that I'm really interested and in that if a project ever came along where I could be a part of that and take on directorial responsibilities or, f- or learn more about that, absolutely. But my career that I call that now is with a company that, unless I do something completely egregious that I hope never <laughs> happens, I will probably be with until I retire or until they don't need me anymore. And so when I made that shift, I didn't say, man, I'm not going to be a great director or a writer. I'm not going to get to do these things. No, I said, I'm satisfied with where I am. And so when I look at these characters, I think self-reflection is good. I think it's good to see Mark, Don, and Sarah look at their lives in terms of, do they feel satisfied with the impact that they're making on their people? So you look at, I think it's Sarah and she, she was asked by her sister, or she asked her sister. I mean, who you know, who is this impacting? And her sister was like, nobody really. She said, "Really? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding." I mean, you're impacting some way. Are you making an impact globally about you know changing world hunger? No, you're not. But you're meeting a need, and I think it's okay to be able to be satisfied in a career path that's not going to have monumental changes. I think being an actor is a good thing, but I think not being an actor and teaching is just as good, even though the saying says, those who can't do teach. And I kind of wanted to see that. I kind of wanted at the end where he wasn't an actor, where he did, he said, I gave that up and a year later, he's doing something else. What we find out is that all four of these people are doing the same thing that they were a year before. And that's fine, but I think it would have been really interesting to see maybe one of them or two of them switch over to different career paths. The other thing I found really interesting is that Beth, even after pursuing and getting a publisher to take care of her book, still didn't really feel that satisfied because she was comparing it to the book right next door to her. Right, and I and I think that that's the other real thing that I love about the ending is that nothing really felt like a bow being tied up. So Don's got the Botox happening, and her playfully lying to him, <laughs> and she's got a book that was published, but it's just okay. So, I guess the question is, how do you define success for yourself and in the in the context of this movie, these four individuals are finding success in maybe different ways than they did a year before.
1: yeah, maybe so. I think that it absolutely is what we call slice of life, like it's about just going through these motions with the characters and not the movie trying to tell you something. It's not trying to preach a specific mindset. To you. I actually think that because it largely is devised from Nicole Hollofsener's own feelings and thoughts around her own work, she has said that, you know, that was kind of what has inspired parts of this over the years when she came up with it. It makes sense that everybody would continue their own creative type pursuits or whatever. I, I do. You know, I immediately relate it to podcasting or my hobbies for me, because that's where most of my time actually ends up going these days. But if I truly lose the passion for something, I think the only way you know that is time, right? And that's where Mark, who he quit, he doesn't act for a little while, but then time goes by and he's back there. That's what makes it a passion, Patrick is the fact that it continues to come back. You can't get away from it. Have I gotten fed up with podcasting and over, have I taken on so many projects that I get overwhelmed by the work at times or just not enjoying it anymore and need to take a small break? Yes, it's happened. And then I take that break and what happens is I miss it because it's a passion. (laughs) And that's sort of, to me, is what defines a passion is when you can't really shake it. You may go through those times where you're fighting against how you feel in the moment, but you can't just get rid of it. There's something so powerful about it, whether it's being a therapist and helping people, it's what you do. It's what, it's not what you do because it's what you do. It's what you do because you started doing it because you loved it. And there's a reason. And eventually that tends to come back, you know, the majority of the time. And I think that's sort of where it's alluding to, Yeah. but I love that point you made about how she's still comparing herself. Uh, to people at the end and the movie gives it a, a bit of a comedic sort of touch i think the way that it depicts that scene almost as if to say hey why why are you doing this but it's also something that inspires us to continue to try and work harder or to try and come up with the next thing or improve the quality of the thing that we're doing is competition like that's just human nature as well just as much as needing validation from each other uh Don's kind of main plot line i want to talk to you about too because i i have and you may have to clarify some of this i have this vague memory that when you went to college at washita you were going to major in psychology and that somewhere in that possibly being in therapy not being in therapy but <laughs> being a therapist was in your plan. But I also know that you are a big champion of going to therapy. It's something that you have done over the years, uh, both solo and as a couple. And so I was interested kind of what you thought about Don and the different interactions with his patients, which were an absolute hoop, by the way, uh, from, from that perspective.
0: So, yes, you're right. I went to college Uh, to major in psychology. I successfully got my bachelor's degree to which I unofficially use it day to day with my people. Officially, I don't use it at all, but it sits right on my wall, a nice little diploma that took me two hours longer to get it than my brother who went to college uh, for eight years instead of four. So he has that over me, but I told him, you know, when you take twice as long, I think I own that one, sir. So, you know, take it for what it is. But I did originally go into that field because I liked the idea at the time when I was 18 of man, it'd be great to be a therapist, it'd be great to be a counselor, and be able to kind of help people walk through their problems. And this is one of those things, Aaron, where life changes. Uh, you experience stuff, and it wasn't that I got jaded. I actually became, within my college career, passionate about research and the idea of statistics and tendencies and things like that. And and then after college, uh, after promptly getting a low score on the GRE, so I couldn't get into graduate school, I realized that, okay, maybe I need to just get out there and work. Maybe I need to do something with my life. And I went through a period of about a year where I felt like a failure. I was like, wow, I've got student loans at the wazoo. And they're not Harvard student loans, but they're still private school student loans. And I have nothing to show for it. And I had to grow up in my 20s and realize that Being on your own and paying rent and buying food and making sure that you're paying your utilities, that's being a grown-up too. It's not about having a college diploma. And I will preach that to my son. You don't have to go to college if you don't want to. I don't regret my college career. I don't regret what I learned. I don't, I, I, again, my diploma is on my wall for a reason. I'm proud of what I did. I'm proud of the work that I put in. I loved my relationships that I built there among my classmates and my professors But my my desire shifted. And then in my 30s and 40s, I started getting exposure to, as I discovered more about my my own depression, I started talking to people, talking to therapists. I've had a couple I'm currently in. uh, I currently have a therapist now. And it's been really good because it reminds me that no amount, not that we all need therapy to an extent, but that we're all broken people and we all have a need to talk to someone. And I think that this movie does this in such a playful way to, to deal with some of the seriousness. So when we look at Don's relationship with his patients, as, as someone who knows my therapist outside of the therapy bubble, I feel the same way that some of his patients do or like, man, you probably deal with a lot. You probably like, you don't need to hear my problems. So I walk in sometimes feeling very guilty of like, you really don't need to hear all the crap that's going on with me because I'm sure you deal with all that. But I have to recognize the fact that he is putting himself, Don, in a position where this is his job, and there is a thick skin. It's like being a teacher, you know. You just you put on the skin of like, okay, I need to be able to have empathy. Um, coincidentally, the day, the the same day that we watched this movie, we started watching uh, Shrinking on Apple TV. I know you'd recommended it, and I wanted to yes eventually get into it. And we watched the first episode that night and was like, this is. <laughs> this is, this is just a double dose of like therapists don't like their patients. I don't think, (laughs) but it reminds me. And I think Don's in a great example of this, that therapists are people too. They're not invulnerable to their own issues. And so when you see his spousal stuff going on, and then you see him the next day talking to a couple who can't work things out because the wife is telling the husband, eat more salads because you're fat. And he's calling her vulgar names. And it's you know hilarious in some ways, and the fact that they're a real couple I think makes it even funnier, and maybe sometimes kind of sad. But I loved this portrayal because it shows us that there is there's no super heroics from the guy sitting in the comfortable chair. He is a he is a guy who probably needs therapy himself because of probably all the stories that he has to hear and, and figuring out how to endure. What I loved was it was played for laughs, the whole bit with them saying we want a refund. I love that he stuck up for himself. I love that he says, you know what? You're (laughs) my job is not to fix you. My job is to provide an opportunity for you to talk to each other and for me to suggest things. And he is not wrong. Like if I ever put that on the guy that I go to, I am putting him in a position where it's, it's absolutely wrong. It's not him. He's not the reason that I'm having my issues. He is the help that I need. And if he's not working out, I love that he recommended it. I can make it. Yeah, I can recommend some other people for you. Like he doesn't feel like he's their hero. And when they start making him out to be like this hero that they paid so much money for, he's like, nope. <laughs> and it's great it uh, because it's, because it's very honest. I mean, it's like, look, I'm a human being just like you, you came to me. I didn't make you come to therapy. You don't want to keep meeting. you don't have to, but I'm not giving you your money back.
1: <laughs> they are such a highlight of the whole movie. Yeah. Jonathan and Carolyn, the characters, Jonathan, Carolyn, David Cross and Amber Tamlin. I can't even imagine playing that with a spouse. Knowing that you don't actually feel that way, I guess it's kind of like role play, but it like you were saying, it's sort of almost disturbed in a way that you could even pretend to act that way to your spouse and makes you wonder like, is there some underlying part of me that feels this way about the person? Like, I don't know. I just, I just can't imagine how interesting it was to do that for those two, but boy, do they kill it. And you know, it brings up this idea too of there can be bad therapists. Not that he was to Jonathan and Carolyn, but potentially questioning whether or not at times he feels like he is being successful and able to help him assist his patients in getting them where they need to go. And I think that, you know, even Jim, uh, the other main patient that we see, the one who is caught two times <laughs> saying, oh, that's worthless, as he's like logging <laughs> off, right? I didn't say, I love when he confronts him. He's like, I didn't say that. <laughs>
0: it's so deadpan, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's so deadpan. Yeah. And Don doesn't know how to respond because he's caught off guard by the, like, the, the, uh, whatchamacallit, the, uh, not refusal, but the
0: blatant, de, the, de, um, denial.
1: The, denial. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. The blatant denial. And he's so shook that he, <laughs> he's like, okay. But ultimately, Don does give him some ideas. And I got the sense that maybe Don hasn't done that. Like, Maybe Don is off his game because he has simply been asking people, basically he's been seeking people in circles at times. And there's a moment where he specifically mixes up patience that is pretty powerfully impactful on him. He's, he does not take it well. And I love that too, where he says specifically, no, it's the, the patient says it's fine. No big deal. And he's, you see a lot of people and he's like, no, it's not fine that, you know, this is your time and it and it needs to be pure. And and so, while I don't think Dawn is a bad therapist, I think that the movie does sort of acknowledge that there can be people that maybe are not cut out for this. There are people in every profession that aren't cut out for the profession that they're doing. It's just is the fact of life, right? Um and also the idea that maybe not everyone necessarily needs therapy at every point in their life. And I will I will put it like that, because I actually think that therapy pretty much can't hurt. I, I don't I don't know that I think that it can be a bad thing. If you have someone that is, you know, trustworthy that you have to talk to. I don't think it's necessarily nece- you know, needed at all times, but I do think it can be helpful. And I, I just really enjoyed all the moments we get with him um talking to his patients. It's so good. Is there anything else that I missed, uh, you know, pairing wise, there's so many different pairings of characters in this. I thought that that was fun. Just how we get, we get moments of Beth and Dawn. We get Beth and Elliot. We get Beth, Dawn and Elliot. Uh, we get Beth and Sarah. We get Beth, Sarah and their mom, who's hilarious. (laughs) And then we get Sarah and Mark.
0: I mean, she steals the scene, uh, (laughs) I love her. The the whole bit she's with like, the Tupperware and the potato oh, salad.
1: She's like, oh, I'm not letting what? you take the potato salad now. <laughs> but come on. I love Beth too. Beth's like, you want me to put potato salad in tin foil? Mom, there's a hundred Tupperware. It's so great.
0: What I think is great, Aaron, is that I talked to this about, I talked to Krisha about this afterwards, is that she represents the one person who is completely honest the whole time. Absolutely. And it's, I think the, the the beauty of this movie is that deception is so subtle and lying is so subtle. Like it's stuff that like, Oh yeah, I would totally do that. Or no, I would never lie about that. And it's like, there's so many ways. There's so many scenes. Like for instance, when when they're um they're at the 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 clothing swap where they're coming in and they're like yeah you look great in that like they no, don't really look great in that it's all these little things of like we're going to support we're going to make people feel good and then her their mom is completely like no i'm going to keep this why you've only worn it once i might want to wear it again And this is who we are. Like, she has no issue with that. When she goes into the doctor's office and the doctor says, I got to charge you $800 for a concierge fee. And I love that she gets the appointment done. They go eat at that grubby, like, greasy spoon. And she's like, I'm not going to pay that woman $800 so that she can decorate her office. (laughs) It's just so matter of fact. And I'm like, you go, girl. Like, this is the woman who... I think represents all that like, this is what honesty really looks like in any situation because she has no filter, but she's not, she's not obnoxious about it. Like her delivery is so just, okay. Yeah, I get that. You don't want uh, people to take your Tupper, which by the way, I told Krisha, <laughs> um, Beth just left all the cabinet doors open. I'm like, why did you not close those? <laughs> that just annoys me, <laughs> but she just, she's unapologetic and yet she doesn't come across as demeaning or in any way it's very, it's almost charming because it's like man that's a breath of fresh air but she doesn't insult the doctor she gets her exam done and she's like well i guess if if that's the case and then after and i guess in that case she's lying cuz she already knew that she wasn't going to pay but even when she's talking about the doctor she's like i'm not going to pay money for her to <laughs> to redecorate her office it's just that's not going to happen and <laughs> that's like i knew you would yeah, because you're my mom. You're awesome. And I'm like, yes, she is. I want her to be my mom because that's all. that's so fantastic.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I also just really like the moments between Beth and Elliot in the pot store. They're hilarious. Question: Would you lay on top of your child during an armed robbery?
0: <laughs> um, if I had the cojones, I would throat punch the dude that's trying to rob me, and then I would cover myself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just thought it was so funny. I mean, of course, it's it's extra comedic because of just. He's big and tall or tall, you know, and she's smaller. And so the way that she's trying to cover him is it's just so funny. <laughs> just watching Julia Lewis drive it, like try to drape over him, but she can't. And him like obviously feeling uncomfortable with it. Uh, but that whole moment in there. And and I think that there's a fun sort of an Easter egg of a, of a joke. I think that that executive producer joke, because she repeats it twice where the girl in the pot store is like, Don't forget, I'm an executive producer. I I can't. I have no doubts that is like a dig at the studio system from an indie filmmaker. Like it has to be. I just believe it is. Uh, I I thought that those were great moments, and then also just the the hilarity of when they reveal that they have been giving each other anniversary presents that they don't like. When Don walks, or when uh. When she says, and they're being honest, you know, and she's like, I don't, I don't like, you know, you gave me these earrings, these leaf earrings and I don't like them. And he goes, which ones? And she just she walks them. in the bedroom and she comes out and she just, and, and the look on her face, I'm not going to lie. I will, I'll be straight up. I have Julia Lewis dreyfus like in my, I expect she will be in my best actress nominee list. I think that that performance is that subtly fantastic but the way that she walks out and holds it and starts like cracking up slowly as she's just holding it like staring and the way that he looks at her like you know just he's he's like dumbfounded but also it's funny right like, you can't do anything but laugh at your own blindness in that moment um I just thought that was just so so beautiful and then specifically also that they come back at the end of the movie with the stinger of and Elliot's just sitting there like what are you guys laughing about? Like, what is going on here? And she's—he's and like, "Do you want this?" And he's like, "No, it's a V-neck." <laughs> and Don explaining the whole V-neck thing—he's like, yeah. "I don't have cleavage."
0: Yeah. <laughs> Nobody it's, wants on, to see this. That conversation, along with him, you know, with the whole thing on the couch earlier—that valid, of course. This on the couch too. The couch conversation, I think, is the best scene in this in the movie. Apparently. But the way that he validates why he doesn't like v Nex, because I don't like v nex that much and the cleavage yes and Krishna we were talking about it afterwards I said I said I'm on team Dawn because of that conversation she's like what I mean I don't get it I mean you're not I agree with Beth you know you're not showing cleavage and I said for me. It's about the whole bit with the sailors. Like, look, I, I'm not going on a yacht. It's not like a sail. I'm sailing on a yacht next week. I don't need a V neck because <laughs> you are just not comfortable. I mean, it's cashmere; it feels great, but it it feels weird if it's not a crew neck. I don't want to wear it because it's just like I don't. I don't want people to look down here. It's just there's nothing attractive right there. No, I no Reason for you to it's point not, you out, It's there.
1: not like a middle aged hey, to older I'm age. up here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please look at my Botox. Okay. That's yeah. what I need oh, you to focus on. That was but, my last question for you, but you sort of already teased out your <laughs> opinion. I was going to ask you where you stood on male Botox. Uh, I sit down or Botox in Botox. general, I guess. Yeah, but. I just,
0: no. I, you know, the the fact is, I <laughs> this one question as because I was reading over our notes from earlier today, and of course it's the last question in our notes, and so I'm thinking about it most recently. I, I don't like it, because I don't like the idea of faking your yourself. Um, when you do the spray on tan. What are you doing? You're just saying, I want to be darker because I don't like the way that my skin looks. And yet, you know, I can go out in the sun and get burned and then tan and I might get criticized for getting skin cancer. And I'm like, okay, well, I still look good. (laughs) But my, my point being that I think if you have to alter yourself in a way that's artificial in some capacity through Botox or through some kind of like deal. And I mean, I get it. You could throw makeup in that category, but look at a 44 year old man who's married to his Lovely wife, her without makeup is just as good as her with makeup it's cool i'm I'm not in the market for anybody else but my wife, and so maybe at twenty years old, I needed to grow up and realize that makeup isn't what makes a woman that there's more stuff there in the same way. I don't want to put stuff in my body that doesn't go in my body. I want to listen to my body, and my body will respond and tell me you're full or it's time to eat, or it's time to go for a walk, or it's time to rest your knee because it's starting to hurt, which is how I felt tonight when I got home from a full day uh, hanging out with different people. So I think when it comes to things like Botox, the the short answer is I think it's stupid because I think it's trying to falsify something that is naturally occurring. We are one step closer to death. We should embrace our oldness To an extent, we shouldn't try to be any younger or any older than we are. I'm 44. I don't want to be 34. I don't want to be 54. I want to be 44. What does that look like right now? And listen to the conversation just before this, (laughs) the last 45 minutes, and you'll find out what 44 looks like for me.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't do it myself either. I don't know that I have a strong opinion, as strong of an opinion about other people doing it. I think it's great as a character piece for her to do that with this guy. She actually said, Nicole Hustle center again, the, the director here, that several actors that were a little bit older than Tobias Menzies even declined the role specifically because they did not want to be portrayed as vain and do that part. They asked her to take that out, and that was what drew her partially to Menzies so much is that he was like, sure, whatever. Like, he wasn't too proud of himself to play a vain character on screen. And I think that it that character trait like plays well with the whole concept of the movie and the idea of wanting validation for different things. It just it's it's pretty funny and and it's not overplayed. I think that's just you mentioned nuance, subtlety like these are things that make this movie special to me. Nothing is way overdone in the way that we see so many Hollywood movies will make a funny joke and then they will try and bang it into the ground over and over and over because they they knew that it was got a funny reaction once and this movie doesn't do that. We have two scenes that talk about botox and they're perfect. They're short and that makes them more impactful and hilarious because of that. When it comes back around at the end, you're not really expecting it and you're like, "Oh my gosh, he got the botox." <laughs> you know, like that's the reaction instead of knowing it's coming and waiting on the joke to happen for the fourth or fifth time. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I'm glad you liked it. Uh yeah. Feel, feel good about picking yeah, up. Yeah,
0: I th- I think it needs more eyes on it for sure. Um, I normally go to a Regal Theater nearby because, you know, Regal Unlimited for the win. This is one of those movies that was not playing at Regal. I was kind of disappointed. So it was over at Cinemark, so we went over there and uh, surrounded by little girls who were dressed in their mermaid outfits for the... I think there were, of the 20 theaters, of the 20 screens, nine of them were showing Little Mermaid. And <laughs> i mean this this is perfectly perfectly done um our theater was way in the back in the corner of like a capacity of like 35 people <laughs> and we were the demographic was like there were like seven of us in there and the it was like 50s in their 40s and 50s so they were definitely, yeah.
1: yeah i saw this at sundance but i went and watched it again because i hadn't seen it since january Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be fre- refreshed on it. And my theater was, it was actually refreshingly like full. Like we had quite a bit of attendance for the two thirty show that I went to on a Friday, but it was definitely all people my age are older. Yeah. Like 100%. totally farmers' with that. No teenagers whatsoever. No riffraff. No riff. As Patrick calls them the riffraff. Yeah.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of feeling film. Hope you've enjoyed this conversation. I know we have, and it's been good for you. If you haven't seen the movie, obviously that's on you and we already spoiled that. So tuning up, tuning up. How about tuning in coming up next week? There we go. Combine those two phrases Uh, coming up next week. We are still in the theater. We got Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. Yes, this is the mandate that we are going for. And I say mandate, in that me, the man is taking my son on a father son outing for this. I'm excited. He's excited. We're excited to get back there. And, uh, hopefully the conversation will lend itself to lots of like, you know, spider jokes
1: and whatnot. So
0: anyway, Aaron, thanks for another great conversation. We'll talk soon.
1: Hey everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you.
0: We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way.
1: If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat.
0: And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you.
1: Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive.
0: Feelin Film. So.